Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max. And listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. All right, shall we do this? From WBEZ Chicago, this is Nerdette. I'm Greta Johnson. It's Tuesday, June 23rd, and I may as well just be living on the floor of this bedroom closet, which means this must be another episode of Nerdette's Introvert's Guide to the Good Life. So there's a new book out called Girl's Garage, and it seems especially useful these days because it's all about how to be your own repair person, which means, you know, you don't have to invite strangers into your home during a pandemic. It's a how-to guide for all kinds of good stuff, like how to change a flat tire or fix a running toilet or pick a lock, though the author is very specific that you should only do that for good and not evil. The book is written by Emily Pilliton, and it's a super cool book, but Girl's Garage is also the name of a physical space in Berkeley, California, that Emily started, and it's all about just having a place where girls can build cool stuff. We're going to hear from one of the girls who joined Girls Garage when she was just 10. She just finished high school and she wants to be a construction manager when she finishes college. But first, we're going to talk to Emily about how the garage came to be, who she pictured when she wrote the book, and how she's changing the world by putting power tools into the hands of girls. Emily, welcome to Nerdette. Hi, Greta. So I'm very excited to talk to you about the literal girl's garage, the amazing like builder space that you've got in the Bay Area of California. Um, But before we get to that, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about why you chose the word girl, because you're very clear and intentional about what that means in the introduction of this book. And I feel like it's it's a very important sort of like level set before we have this conversation. Yeah, and thanks for bringing that up. I know this has been a really interesting conversation that's evolved for me personally and organizationally, like how we thought about the word girl and how especially now I think we understand gender and identity in such complicated and intersectional ways that even the word girl, which is so binary, um, mm-hmm. comes with some baggage. And so we've done a, a an intentional job of trying to create a community that embraces all of the complexities of girls, female identifying youth, um, non-binary youth. And in practice, we don't actually mean girl as one thing. But I think organizationally, and especially when I was getting started and thinking about um, how I wanted this space and this organization to be an invitation, and especially an invitation to folks who are not traditionally invited into the spaces of carpentry and building, um, I did want to use the word girls, because I think it's also a declaration that in most of the spaces that are related to construction, which are predominantly male and predominantly white, um, that this was an overt invitation, that this is a space for people who have not traditionally been invited. Yeah. Well, and you've also talked about how you you want girl to be categorically positive, which it hasn't necessarily been over the course of 
<laughs> of our patriarchal history, right? Like often the word girl is sort of used to like diminish a person like, oh, she's just a girl, you know, like girls just want to have fun, blah, blah, blah. Like it, you're, you're trying to reframe some of that, like throw like a girl stuff too. Yeah, that's right. And I, I do think it's been used in a pejorative way. I mean, we talk about like, oh, yeah. you throw like a girl or don't be so girly or Sometimes boys and men call each other female references that are hugely insulting. And so mm -hmm. I think that also just claiming that word back, and we do see like there are young girls wearing shirts that say, you know, I run like a girl and they're on a yeah. track team. And so I think there is this move to, to reclaim language. This isn't just true for gender. We see this in a lot of spaces, but I love the idea that we, we can take back something that has always been ours and, and redefine it. So let's talk about this book, which is beautiful and awesome and not even a little bit pink. <laughs> that was on purpose. <laughs> um, why do you think ladies need a book like this? Because I could totally see why someone might be concerned that you essentially are perpetuating the idea of talking down to women by writing a book like this. I think that's not at all what ended up happening, but you know what I mean? Yes, I do. So interestingly, as so I remember as a young person and even even now, I mean, you walk into most hardware stores and if there are books, there are usually they're usually there's an old white guy on the cover. I'm just going to say it like it is. Yep. That's yep. usually yep. who is in these books. And so mm -hmm. even though those books do not have a title like woodworking for old white guys, that's basically what it's <laughs> communicating. <laughs> and so <laughs> I, I feel like writing a book for women is is no different than that. It's just more honest. And um, I do think that uh, similar to the use of the word girl in the first place, it's just, it's an invitation and it's a way of seeing people and saying, this book is for you. And that was really important for me to just put out there. Like, this is a book for you of all the other books on the shelf that look like they're from 1970 and that you can't see yourself in, that you can see yourself in this book. Yeah. And I also, I tried really hard to write the book in the same way that I teach girls in person. And that was a really interesting thing to navigate just as in my own voice, like teaching carpentry and tools and welding is very technical. And so I don't want it to feel dumbed down. Like we use all the right words. We talk about curve yeah. and we talk about TPI and um, all the right words, but also it has to be accessible. It can't be so technical that it's off-putting. So that was also a way I thought about this book to sort of dance that line between respecting and honoring the intelligence and brilliance of girls and women and also it being inviting enough that everyone can see themselves in it. Mm -hmm. Well, it's inclusive. It's also like aesthetically pleasing, which is so nice too. Like in a lot of ways, it actually kind of reminds me of like it's full of illustrations and they're, you know, like charts with the little like tops of all of the different kinds of screws and like, but you've also sprinkled in profiles of amazing lady builders who are, you know, have built wonderful careers for themselves, but also students, which means that you've got this amazing array of all kinds of different women with different backgrounds also talking about how passionate they are and how empowered they are by this career path. Yeah. I mean, this just comes back to, we all know that you can't be what you can't see. And this goes back to my own experience of looking at those books, you know, at, 
at the bookstore that felt like they weren't written for me. And part of that had to do with the faces of the people using tools. And so I did try to think about, you know, there's a 96 year old woman who was a real Rosie the Riveter and she's in the book. And then there's a 14 year old who's part of our program who has built this gorgeous sandbox for the preschool down the street with our program and everything in between. And so I do think that there's, it's easy to say, oh, well, there, you know, there are girls or there are women in STEM or in construction. And, and yet we really only still see a small sliver because there are still so few. And so I think it's also important that we start to see the diversity of ages, of races, of backgrounds within our own female community of builders, that we're not just one thing. And so whether you're 96 or 14 or um, Jean Gang is in it, she's a Chicago architect and um, and really like across so many backgrounds that I think the point I wanted to communicate is that no matter where you're at, what age you are, what your experience is, you can read these women's stories firsthand in their own first person accounts. And there's something in there that you'll read and go, oh, that's that's how I feel. Or there's someone that you perceive to be hugely successful and they are, but maybe they started in the exact same place you did, like being afraid or doubting yourself or thinking everything had to be perfect. So I just feel like the complexities of our stories as women and girls are really, really important to share and that we can't always hold each other up as, as like these sheroes on pedestals because we're complicated. And that's also what I wanted to convey through these builder profiles. Mm -hmm. So who, I mean, you kind of just spoke to this, but I don't know, like, was there a specific, was there a specific sort of person that you pictured when you wrote this book? You know, like, cause I, I could see it. I mean, I certainly think it will be very useful for me as a person who has never actually changed a tire. Um, but I could also see it being really impactful for, you know, maybe like an eighth grade girl somewhere who maybe lives in a smaller town and hasn't been exposed to seeing a lot of different kinds of women do this sort of work and realize that like maybe she should try shop class. Yeah, it's really helpful for me when I'm writing or building to think about who the the audience is in a really, really micro way. And so I thought about three specific girls or three specific girls and women as readers. And the first one was actually my mom. I thought about my mom who is like the my ultimate shiro and i thought about like what would happen if something in my mom and dad's house broke and i wanted to write a book for her that she could put on her shelf and when the sink breaks she could look something up and feel like she had the resource to at least attempt to fix it herself Mm-hmm. And then the second person I thought of was actually a girl in my in my program. So there are hundreds of girls that physically come to Girls Garage every year and they're incredible girls. They come from all over. And I just thought about what happens when they leave the space and they often end up coming back. But what happens in the in-between when they're at home and they're remembering like, oh, I think I learned this at Girls Garage, but I don't quite remember how it works. So this is also a resource for them. And then mm-hmm. the third type of person I thought of is exactly what you described, a girl who maybe lives across the country who I don't have the ability to teach in person, but I know has a lot of the same desires and questions and wonderings as the girls who come here. So I wanted to be able to provide something that felt a little bit like Girls Garage, the program in book form. And it's written in the same way I would speak if they were here. And I've tried to think of it as 
a sort of scalable model of girls garage that can go anywhere and be a stand in for what happens in this physical space. So, yeah, I think, uh, you know, speaking of space, I would love to talk to you a little bit about the literal space that that you've built, because it sounds amazing and really cool. I got to see a little bit of it just on Zoom today. Can you tell people who like have never heard of Girls Garage before, like you've kind of hinted at it, but like what what are you doing over there? What's going on? So Girls Garage is a a physical workspace here in Berkeley, California, and Girls Garage as a program evolved out of some previous work I had been doing. I'd been teaching essentially a shop class with co-ed students at a a high school with embedded in the school program. And Mm -hmm. to make a long story very short, I, I started to feel a lot of the same tensions and discomforts that I experienced having studied architecture and then working in architecture and construction as a young woman. And I think that any girls or women who are listening know exactly what I'm talking about, but to put Mm -hmm. it into words, it felt like there was always some amount of energy, let's call it 15% of my total energy, that was always going towards doing some kind of social calculus about you know, what would happen if I spoke up? And does this person really think I belong in this room? And I'm the youngest person here. I'm the only girl here. What if this person thinks I'm stupid? Like, we're always doing some amount of that, especially in spaces that are dominated by men. And this is like 15 is pretty low. Emily. (laughs) Let's say that's on a good day. Okay, okay. Yeah, I've definitely been in spaces where it feels like 95%. Um, Yeah. Yeah, and that's, you know, we should not confuse that social calculus with any, like women and girls are just as qualified and just as smart, and in some cases smarter. I mean, there's, we belong in those spaces. So it's not, mm-hmm. it's not about being underqualified. Anyway, I, I just felt like those, those tensions were still so prominent, even in a co-ed class that I was teaching. And that really, really mm-hmm. bothered me. And so Girls Garage emerged out of both that frustration, but maybe more importantly, the, the hope and the belief I had in my female students who were so brilliant and so creative. And every time I took them aside in the group of just us, it was game changing. Like the amount of work and productivity and collaboration and support was like a completely different world than the co-ed space. And so when I thought about starting Girls Garage as an all-girls program, I, I brought that feeling into it, that it was so powerful to have a space that we just overtly said, this is a space for us. It's a space for girls, space for female-identifying youth, non-binary youth, and all that social calculus. You don't have to do any of it. You can walk in and build the thing that you want to build. You also, even just in this introduction um, of the book, talk about some of the rules that you have at Girls Garage. Um, which you don't even call them rules. How would you frame these? They're, I mean, they're really like, they're sort of philosophies. Yeah. I, I don't know that I would call them rules either, except for, well, we do have one rule. If you say the word thing, instead of the name of a tool, you have to do 10 pushups. But <laughs> <laughs> that's a good rule. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I really, that's, so actually that is one that's rooted in a philosophy. I think that um, it's important for, everyone and especially for girls and women to use our language as a source of power and so yeah that's why I hate the word thing because 
if something is called a screwdriver, then we should call it a screwdriver. And we should mm -hmm. walk into the hardware store saying, you know, uh, I need a one and five eighths inch star bit deck screw. Um, that's powerful. That also is a way for us to immediately establish that we belong. So there are things like that. There are also, you know, I, I, we try to do work that is always outward facing. Um, we sometimes build birdhouses to take home to our parents, but really the home <laughs> run is to do work that lives in the world where, you know, we've done a ton of furniture for a local women's shelter. We've built sandboxes for the preschools down the block. We built this massive parklet bench for a restaurant. We're working on a 500 square foot chicken coop right now, um, which is a chicken mansion, I suppose. Um, <laughs> So that's also been really important philosophically for us too, that I think that the skills we're learning are best understood and that for girls, they really mean the most when they're applied to things that matter, that have consequence and that other people are going to use and benefit from. Mm -hmm. So yeah, what what are some ways, like how have you seen girls change over the course of of a school year or a summer session? Like, what do you think girls are getting out of this experience that you've helped build for them? Yeah, it's so it's, I mean, I, I have flashbacks to when I was that age and I have first have to say that most of the girls who come here, I, I talk to them and I'm like, wow, I did not have my act together in the way that you <laughs> seem to at age 16. So, you know, I just think generationally that the girls, young women right now are just, ferocious. I think they're like the greatest resource that the world has. And so I, I think the thing that most girls get out of this space is, well, two things. One is that most of them have not been in an all-female space that feels truly positive. I think a lot of teenage girls in particular equate all-girl settings with some level of cattiness. And that's, you know, <laughs> that is not their fault. That's just how things are. And so I do think that coming here and experiencing the power of a supportive group of like-minded girls and women and adult female mentors who who would do anything for you like that <clears throat> that's a really unique sometimes first time experience for young girls i think that's an important thing and then related to the work itself and the tools i think a lot of girls leave here after a week or in more cases after multiple years most of the girls who come here are with us for 3 5 some of them have been with us since the beginning for seven years. Oh, I think that they, I think they leave feeling a sense of confidence and power through the metaphor of power tools. So the power <laughs> tools are really just the vehicle, but having used them, like having stood on an eight foot tall roof and used a circular saw, like you think about yourself as having more power than you did before. And I think that's the greatest gift is just changing the the frame for how you think about your power in the world and that translates into you know many of them are going into engineering or architecture or design um and that's that is also the goal to change what those industries look like but also some may go into you know nursing or or law and that's great too because that same sense of power means something in those spaces as well Emily, 
I just love all of this so much. Thank you for sharing your story and and talking about this awesome space that you've built because it's just really cool. Thank you. Thank you so much. You have to come visit sometime. I would love to come visit. Are you kidding me? (laughs) That's Emily Pilliton. Her book is called Girls Garage, How to Use Any Tool, Tackle Any Project, and Build the World You Want to See. And as I mentioned, the book is full of short little profiles of people. And before I let Emily go, I asked her which one was her favorite. Gosh, how to pick one. There are 15 total profiles and some like Carrie Byron is from Mythbusters. And I think we've all seen her just kick and butt on TV in a, in a season or two. I think she was pregnant and like lighting things on fire. She's amazing. Um, (laughs) The profiles that are most interesting to me, I have to say, I know I'm biased, are the three girls who are in our program. And I'll just tell you about one. Cool. Erica has been in the Girls Garage program since she was 10. She was in the very first summer camp ever in 2013. And this year, like last week, she graduated from high school and she's going into civil engineering at San Jose State. Ah. She's she's an extraordinary. I mean, she knows how to use all these tools. She's built incredible projects that will be in her community for years. And she has all the same struggles and questions and challenges that teen girls do. Um, And she's made her way into a career that she's both scared of of how hard it's going to be and also super motivated to be in it and to use that platform and that work to do good in the world. After the break, I get on the phone with Erica Chu. She just graduated from high school and she is ready to take on the world. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts. Think on your feet for our Fast and Curious 5K, a -a one-of-a-kind race hosted by WBEZ and the Chicago Sun-Times on Saturday, July 27th at Humboldt Park. More info and early bird registration at wbez.org slash events. Here is my conversation with my new favorite Gen Zer, Erica Chu. Hey, Erica. Hey, what's up? (laughs) Not much. How are you? (laughs) I'm great. So t- I'm just going to ask you a couple of different questions. First, how old are you, Erica? I'm 18. You're 18. Yeah, I turned 19 oh my this goodness. year. Wow. So does that mean you just finished high school? Yeah, I just graduated on Friday. Congratulations. Friday. <laughs> Thank you. This must be like such a weird time to be going through such a huge new chapter in your life. It totally is. <sighs> so what's your plan for next year? Um, I'm going to be studying civil engineering 
And like my whole engineering background actually is from Girls Garage because I started Girls Garage at such a young age. Yeah. Yeah, that's why it means so much to me and everything. That's awesome. But I actually want to start, can I just be really obnoxious and Mm -hmm. stupid and be like, what is civil engineering? Yeah, civil engineering (laughs) is, well, the type of civil engineering that I want to do is structural. So it's totally like physics and the actual building of a building, make sure that it's structurally sound. Um, I couldn't give you like a super strict definition of civil engineering, but what I want to do with it is I want to be a construction manager. Nice. Yeah. I mean, I'm obviously still really young, so I have a lot of time to figure out what I want to do, but I, I don't know. I'm just really interested by building buildings, not just like work buildings. I want to work with like really big companies to build like cool buildings. So one of my biggest examples is like the Aulani Resort in Hawaii. Oh, cool. Like the Disney Resort, you know, like all of that architecture and like the, like these big, beautiful buildings that people like vacation to and like are iconic for pictures. Those are the type of buildings I want to build. That's awesome. Is there anything that you'd like to say to any other young women who, I don't know, maybe even haven't heard of civil engineering, but like, you know, like, do you have advice for maybe the eighth grade version of you or something? (laughs) So when I joined Girls Garage, I was extremely scared because the second or third session I believed was welding. (laughs) <laughs> and I was what 10 years old 10 years old so that's like that's a huge accomplishment for me as a 10 year old to yeah. say that I can weld mm-hmm. and I was definitely very very scared and intimidated because that welding machine was like almost as big as my torso <laughs> so, <laughs> so I definitely say try things new it doesn't have to be you know civil engineering but engineering and architecture is can be very um, creative. There's a lot of different things within the fields. You know, you're not stuck down. Even even though I'm taking civil engineering as my major, there's so many other things that I can do with it if I decide that I don't want to be a construction manager. Yeah. So I definitely say to young girls that it is very, very scary at first, but you're never going to know how it can affect you or impact you until you experience it and you know like like where it's gotten me erica i just think you are so inspiring and i can't wait for you to just do all of the amazing things thank you All right, that's it for today. The show is produced by me and Justin Bull. Our executive producer is Brendan Banazak. See you on Friday for Book Club. Nerdette is supported by the Sympathizer podcast from HBO. Join host Philip Nguyen in conversation with the cast, crew, and author Viet Thanh Nguyen as they discuss the making of this historic HBO original limited series. Stream new episodes of HBO's The Sympathizer Sundays exclusively on Max, and listen to The Sympathizer podcast wherever you listen to podcasts.